Hi, I'm Linda Calabresi. I'm a GP and the medical editor of HealthEd. Welcome to our unique podcast series now available direct to your device. The series features some of Australia's leading clinical experts talking on topics that are both practical and important to Australian GPs. My name is Alta Skitte. I'm Professor of Cardiovascular Medicine at the George Institute for Global Health and the University of New South Wales. I will be speaking to you today on reprioritizing blood pressure control in primary care, particularly in Australia, and a specific call to action. To start off, I think it's good to have a global perspective, and therefore I will, I will first portray the global situation before refocusing on Australia. So the Global Burden of Disease Study Investigators evaluated 87 different risk factors across the globe and uh, really evaluated what the ranking of these risk factors are. Um, based on their findings, raised systolic blood pressure has remained for the past uh, decades or so the leading risk factor of death, accounting for almost 11 million deaths each year. This is uh, accounting for about 30,000 deaths each day. I was uh, part of the Lancet Commission on Hypertension, which in 2016 really uh, put together a report on how to address this global challenge. And what we've really devised there is that a life course strategy, in other words, not only targeting individuals that have uh, raised blood pressure already, but to really focus on the whole life course from preconception through to adulthood um, to address the early prevention and detection as well as management of high blood pressure. And as can, can be demonstrated on this slide um, in the green uh, arrow is the ideal life course where we have population-based strategies to address uh, blood pressure control. And that include aspects such as uh, low salt intake throughout the life course um, or um, lowering obesity, increasing the availability of safe physical activity areas. But as we know in primary care, um, we often see a different uh, arrow, the early vascular aging um, scenario, where we have raised blood pressure already in early adulthood or middle age, where we have cardiovascular disease uh, emanating at um, earlier than what would be expected. And then we need individual-based strategies to really lower that risk and to start with pharmacotherapy and other interventions but it's much more um, expensive and not as cost effective as addressing it from early, early life onwards. So as part of the International Society of Hypertension, um, I've been leading the international um, guidelines for the management of hypertension, which was published in 2020. And here we really have this global perspective with specific strategies for uh, low resource settings and for high resource settings. And I will get back to these guidelines a bit later in the presentation as well. But what is really important is to look at uh, the past 30 years uh, in terms of hypertension prevalence, awareness, treatment and control rates across the world and, and the uh, NCD risk factor collaboration, looking at non-communicable disease risk factors, really did this very well in, in this uh, publication. As you can see here, they've really demonstrated the change in the control rates of hypertension over the past 30 years. Uh, where the dark green really emphasized where there was improvements. So, uh, for example, in Canada, which is the global leaders in hypertension control at the moment, as well as countries such as Germany and South Korea, uh, there's been really some positive uh, action taken to reduce blood pressure and to improve hypertension management. So this is uh, the findings for women. And as you can see for Australia, 
there's been almost no change or no improvement. If we look at the data for men, it's pretty similar. Again, Canada being the forerunners there, but um, as for Australia, the situation has not really improved at all. It's, it's really remained um, the same over the past 30 years. The NCD risk factor collaborators then, uh, in this specific slide, really emphasized the control rates in all these countries at the year 2019. And if I zoom in here, uh, at the high-income Western uh, countries, you can see that Australia is really lagging behind all the others with a hypertension control rate of about 30%. So I've zoomed in on the data for Australia and for that we need the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare data. Uh, and on their website, as demonstrated here, they've also indicated that the prevalence of measured or uncontrolled high blood pressure has remained stable since 2011-2012. And if you really look at the definition of hypertension, um, which is systolic blood pressure greater than 140 or diastolic greater than 90, and, and or taking blood pressure lowering medication, um, and we follow on on their uh, report on what the prevalence of high blood pressure is 34%. In other words, one in three adults in Australia having high blood pressure. And then they do a breakdown in terms of the control rates and I want to zoom in on their uh, Excel sheet that's on their website. And that is what's really disturbing in terms of the figures for Australia where you can see there um, in red that of the 34% with high blood pressure, the proportion of 22 out of 22.8 uh, out of 34 percent have uncontrolled high blood pressure or if we swap it around a 32 percent control rate and this is a bit worse for men than for women and um, for for countries such as Canada this is about 60 percent plus so we have a problem in Australia and we need to uh, take action because if we look at the number uh, number of deaths by cause specifically in the world bank high income countries you can clearly see that cardiovascular di disease remains the leading cause of death if we zoom into australia specifically and look at the deaths by risk factor high blood pressure is by far the leading risk factor for death in the country and that is why we need to take action the fact that we have a 32 percent control rate is really um, not satisfactory when evaluating hypertension, it's important to look at the structure of the hypertension cascade. So you first have to look at the population with hypertension, and then you can only do something about it if someone is aware of their status. So we know it has no symptoms, and therefore awareness is really an important first step. Once an individual is aware of the hypertensive status, then treatment can be given. And only when treatment is given correctly and the, uh, the, the, the patient is taking the medication, control can be achieved. So there's a lot of steps to be taken in order to achieve success here. Based on the data that we have for Australia, it's about 8.7 million adults that have hypertension. And um, a third of them, it's, uh, it's unknown in terms of their awareness. So it's a third of all adults and it's, uh, a lot of them may be unaware of their hypertension status. And we have seen in the Lancet um, Commission report, based on another global study, that in that specific study, which included low and middle income countries, most people with hypertension are in fact unaware of their hypertension status. And therefore, only a smaller proportion can be managed and hopefully treated and controlled to target blood pressure levels. And that is why the Lancet Commission really focused on the, on the goal that every adult should know their blood pressure. It sounds pretty simple, but 
unfortunately, it's really a, a challenging um, a goal to achieve. But aligned with that, the International Society of Hypertension have launched the May Measurement Month Initiative. And as we are in the month of May, uh, it's being launched once again. So we started in 2017 and each year screened uh, people all around the world through volunteers. And uh, for the years 2017 to 2019, we've screened 4.2 million, uh, of which almost 1 million individuals had untreated hypertension or inadequately treated hypertension. Uh, and these individuals were, were able to be referred for treatment afterwards. So it's really an awareness campaign and, and uh, anyone in Australia who's interested in being involved are, are very welcome to contact me in this regard as well. So the findings of May Measurement Month or MMM has been published every year in international journals. But what I really want to focus on is, is the results for Australia. So each year these results specifically to Australia have also been published. And what is really a consistent finding, unfortunately, is that about half of people in Australia with high blood pressure who were part of these screening programs were aware of their condition. In other words, half were unaware. So that is a major challenge. In this graph, the NCD risk factor collaborators really looked at this trend over time since 1990. And it's really valuable information that we can gather here. And if you look at the red section, which is undiagnosed or unaware of the hypertension. You can see for women and for men, um, this has really started to go in the wrong direction in more recent years. But the main focus is on the dark green bar. So that is individuals who have high blood pressure, who has been detected, who have been treated effectively and blood pressure control to target levels. So at least that proportion have increased in recent years, but it's by far not as one would have liked because the light green, yellow and red bars should become dark green in order to achieve uh, effective control rates. Comparing this to Canada, who is the world leaders, you will note that it's really comparative to Australian values for 1990, but they have in the subsequent years actively changed their whole um, uh, approach to management of hypertension with um, effective treatment programs, education of general practitioners and the whole health system, updating protocols based on recent evidence. So they've been really active and they've achieved the results, as you can see, the, the substantial improvement in control rates, uh, both for men and women. If we look at the data for the USA, their green bars, their treated, treated and control rates have really also improved. But what has happened in recent years, it started to deteriorate again. So they've detected that, um, as indicated in this text. So they've uh, recently found it was about 44% control rates, and that was a decline from about 54% in 2013-14. And based on these findings, um, they have really now uh, taken action. So the Surgeon General has published a call to action to control hypertension in the US, and this was done in 2020. Um, and this is, was accompanied by a paper in JAMA where they have highlighted the three main actions on the right hand side. The three goals are to make hypertension control a national priority, to ensure that communities support hypertension control and to optimize patient care for hypertension control. So this was really published in light of a 44% control rate. In Australia, we have a 32% control rate and therefore it's really important for us to take action cognizance of this primary risk factor and, and take action to improve control in primary care but throughout the whole health system. If we look at the countries that were really successful, the ones that were highlighted in green that improved their control rates, 
Um, th these were countries such as Canada, Costa Rica, South Korea. They have achieved this through um, low hypertension prevalence or high control through both improved prevention and improving every stage of the treatment cascade. The question is, what have they done? And what can we do in Australia to rapidly improve blood pressure control here? So in February this year, together with the High Blood Pressure Research Council of Australia and the Heart Foundation, we have published a call to action. Uncontrolled blood pressure in Australia. And this was in the Medical Journal of Australia. We welcome any input or anyone who's interested to working in working with, with us on this uh, call to action. The very first step we've identified in a roadmap uh, to tackle this is to create a national task force uh, with a focus to improve control rates to 70%, which is at least doubling the current control rates of 32%. We also want to increase the amount of research funding, particularly with regards to implementation research. We have a lot of information already, but it needs to be better applied and implemented in primary care and in, in, in other practices to ensure that uh, blood pressure is lowered throughout the life course. Other specific actions include uh, creating wide-scale opportunities to improve awareness, uh, as mentioned before, and promoting population-based measures such as salt reduction or potassium supplementation and sugar reduction. Providing affordable and validated blood pressure devices for home monitoring, but also in including ambulatory blood pressure monitoring in diagnosis of hypertension in primary care. Improving the training on the measurement and management of blood pressure in clinical practice. We need more strategies to overcome clinician inertia and refresher courses and educating GPs on emerging evidence-based best practice. So a specific focus here is the inclusion of single pill combination therapy as first-line treatment for, for hypertension, which is uh, what is being advocated by all international guidelines. And I, I would like to emphasize the SPC therapy in the next few uh, slides. And I would then also like to come back to the creation of a national task force as a specific focus. So first on single pill combination therapy and why this is so important and included in all neohypertension guidelines, but not yet updated in Australia. So since 1967, there has been an array of uh, large-scale global clinical trials to evaluate the best medication for blood pressure management. Um, you will recognize several of these titles, but despite the fact that there's been so many trials and despite the fact that we have low-cost, highly effective uh, blood pressure treatment available, uh, the control rates that I've demonstrated in some of the previous slides on the, on the global maps are not at, at least satisfactory. So, um, the European Society of Hypertension have published as part of their guidelines a very important strategy where they have evaluated why is this the case and what's likely to overcome this challenge. Firstly, one has to ask, are the pharmacological therapies we currently have really effective? And I think the clinical trials is really robust evidence to show that ineffective drug therapy is not the source of the problem. Other question is physician or treatment inertia. There's a lot of evidence that indicate that a, um, a, a large proportion of patients um, remain on monotherapy despite the fact that they need to have up titration or uh, another medication added. So there is quite a bit of evidence to show that this, this is where intervention is needed. Also, as we all know, patient adherence to treatment remains a large challenge. So despite the fact that effective treatment are prescribed 
or uptitrated, patients simply do not take their medication and that is a major problem and challenge. So there are some strategies to try and overcome this such as using fixed dose combination therapy but um, there's still a lot of work to improve this as well. And then fourth, the insufficient use of combination treatment. So this is uh, the focus I want to, to, to put your attention on and that is that single pool combination therapy or at least d d dual therapy is a very effective strategy in improving blood pressure control. So um, it has been demonstrated that monotherapy is likely to be inadequate in most patients. Indeed, almost all patients in randomized clinical trials have required combination of drugs to control their blood pressure. Uh, that is why all guidelines now have changed their strategy. Uh, there's been a really elegant um, systematic review of randomized controlled trials that compared dual combination therapy versus monotherapy as initial treatment of hypertension. And including these 33 trials, they have nicely shown that um, compared to monotherapy, uh, whether you use full dose or half doses, there's been really a, a reducing of systolic blood pressure in a dose-response relationship. And uh, against what is expected or what is believed largely by the, um, a lot of GPs is that there is no increase in adverse uh, events. Um, it's uncommon with low-to-standard-dose dual combinations. And that has been one of the big challenges to overcome in um, really implementing single pool combination therapy is this belief that there are increased adverse events. So in the European Society of Hypertension conclusion, they have said then the above considerations suggest that the most effective evidence-based treatment strategy to improve blood pressure control is one that encourages the use of combination treatment in most patients, enables the use of single pool combination therapies, and to improve adherence, that also improves adherence, and it follows a treatment algorithm that is simple, applies to all patients, and is pragmatic. Importantly, the World Health Organization has also recognized this important strategy, and therefore in 2019 published in The Lancet that they have now added fixed-dose combination antihypertensive medications as part of their essential medicines lists. And what have they have also emphasized in this, in this paper is that uh, some clinicians are concerned about initiating two or more drugs simultaneously. And this is first-line treatment. It should be emphasized. But the safety of single pill combinations has been established in multiple clinical trials. And there they also reference uh, the previous paper that I've indicated where they've included th uh, 30 different trials. So withdrawals due to an adverse events were uncommon. So it's really an important uh, take-home message um, to improve uh, care in, in uh, patients with hypertension. Another um, uh, aspect I would like to focus your attention on is the fact that single pool combination therapy improves adherence. So in this paper, which is also a, a meta-analysis, it is shown that adherence is, is favored in those uh, with FDC fin uh, fixed dose combination therapy compared to free equivalent combinations. So we have better patient adherence. It's obvious I have one pill to take, not two pills to achieve the same effect. In this specific meta-analysis, they looked at persistence with continuing with therapy over the long term. And again, this is favored fixed dose combination or single pill combination therapy. And in this last example, it's shown that single pill combination therapy not only improve adherence or persistence, but importantly, improve blood pressure control. 
So here you can see compared to monotherapy, a free combination of two pills achieve better blood pressure control, but when they are combined into a single pill, it improves blood pressure control even further. And that is why in 2018, the European Society of Hypertension uh, guidelines have really started to implement this for the first time. As you can see here, the new concepts they highlighted was a single pill combination treatment to improve blood pressure control um, and for most patients was, was initiated. And in 2020, in our guidelines, the International Society of Hypertension guidelines, we've also emphasized that ideally medication should be started with single pill combination therapy dual low-dose combination with step two, dual full-dose combination. And very recently, so as the World Health Organization latest hypertension guidelines, where they have also said combination therapy, ideally uh, with single pill combination. So this is really consistent um, guidance that's given by different organizations and that should be applied to Australia, although the, the guidelines here locally are not yet updated. So very recently, um, we've looked at the situation in Australia and asking, are we there yet? Why um, are we facing these challenges to, in terms of the uptake of SPCs in, in the country to manage raised blood pressure? What is, what is shown here, is, I just want to take you through this slide, is we, when we looked at the um, historical PBS data of antihypertensive monotherapies versus single pill combinations, you can clearly see at the, the top green bars with the purple line. So the purple line demonstrates the number of PBS listed monotherapy items. So it's really increased over time since 92 till 2020. And this is followed by the number of PBS monotherapy script volumes. But on the opposite, uh, the orange line is the number of PBS listed SPC items. And although these have really increased since 28, 29, uh, the number of PBS script volumes haven't, it's remained stable. And that is the challenge we face. We need to increase those and reduce the monotherapy prescriptions if we want to achieve better blood pressure control. So we've really, just to highlight the main results of this paper, which is currently in publication, is the 2016 Australian Heart Foundation's guideline for management of hypertension does not yet recommend combination therapy, including single pills as first line treatment. Additional challenges in the uptake of single pool combinations include the additional PBS requirements and there are some barriers imposed for the listing of SPCs. Uh, script volumes have not matched the rise of, uh, as I've shown in this previous graph. And the problem is that SPCs are not subsidized by the PBS for initial treatment. So we need to address that and uh, invite again anyone who's working in that space. Uh, if you want to join us in, in these efforts to improve the situation, we need to address this as well to make sure that um, SPCs are easy to prescribe and are covered by, um, by the PBS for initial treatment. So overall, we found healthcare providers to be very positive about the cost saving aspects. We've shown it's more cost effective to prescribe SPCs and it's also more convenient but there remain some negative perspectives in terms of the inflexibility of SPCs during dose titration, issues on medication shortages. And unfortunately, again, there were potential um, understanding that there would be potential adverse effects when initiating treatment with multiple drugs. But of course, as I've shown in those previous meta-analysis, um, initiating treatment with low dose, the dual combinations did not increase adverse events in patients with hypertension. Uh, finally, uh, I would just like to highlight again the creation of a national task force 
to address this uncontrolled blood pressure in Australia. So uh, I'm working together with the Australian Cardiovascular Alliance and we've started recently to develop hypertension clinical theme workshops, which was held the first one recently, uh, end of 2021, uh, followed by a, a round table with government uh, earlier this year. We are meeting continuously with international advisories from USA and Canada who are going through the same processes of, as us to improve hypertension control and to devise an action plan and to make sure it's really as effective as possible. And uh, we will soon have another clinical theme workshop and that is specifically to establish a national task force to make sure we have representation of all stakeholders to really be as effective as possible. Again, um, I invite anyone in this space who's interested in this field to get in touch and uh, to, to share your thoughts on how to get this done most effectively. Um, if you're interested, we've also spoken on this uh, on ABC's health report, the Blood Pressure Initiative, and this was on uh, 31st of January. It's on their website. So uh, I will leave you there, and I thank you very much for your attention. Um, looking forward to uh, be discussing to you with you uh, better blood pressure control rates in Australia soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you are enjoying this series and will recommend it to your friends and colleagues. I'm Linda Calabresi and on behalf of the team here at HealthEd, I look forward to joining you soon for our next podcast. If you enjoyed this audio segment, you can find out more about our free webcast lectures, which can be accessed from any device on our website at healthed.com.au. The podcasts published on this page are for medical professionals only. The content is not a substitute for medical advice. If you have a health issue, you should seek the advice of a suitable qualified health professional.